And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, February 3rd. Derek Ben Riper here with Eno Saris. It is our 2023 shortstop preview as we both anticipate um, things happening. In Eno's case, it's a routine sort of cable upgrade. Fiber, fiber, fiber. Yeah, and I think I'm in. I'm in the point of of a baby watch now, where it's like I could get that that text from the other room while recording, and it'll be orange a, alert. Go. <laughs> just, I don't know what happens to the pod if Streamyard just runs forever, and you'll get a shot of my. My laundry basket for like twelve days before my computer dies. But if that's oh, what happens, that's where okay. I went. Right. I probably won't hit the stop button and publish the episode. Just just as a heads up. So we're gonna try to get this in. It's one of our favorite positions. Always a lot of fun players to discuss. And as we've done throughout the series, we're breaking everything up by ADP tier, looking at NFBC drafts from this range is probably the late part of January, January twenty-first up through February 2nd. So a decent snapshot, about 24 drafts, gives us a good approximation of where these players have been going. Now, top of the board, as you'd expect, is full of shortstops. Trey Turner, sometimes a first overall pick, has an ADP sitting around pick three. Bobby Witt Jr., Bo Bichette have both been first rounders. Fernando Tatis Jr., maybe the most polarizing player in the entire pool right now right around that one-two turn in a 15-team league, and we're going to lump in Francisco Lindor as part of this group, even though he goes closer to pick 30. So you're talking about a guy that you're getting at the end of round two, beginning of round three. I don't know if there's much to say about Trey Turner other than he's in a slightly less desirable lineup, but the Phillies lineup is still good. Like It's a downgrade compared to what the Dodgers had last year. Park upgrade? Yeah, maybe a park upgrade. I, I think the, the question a lot of people might have about Turner would be with bigger bases and new rules on throwing over. Yeah. Could a guy who already runs a lot possibly run more? Could that be one of the outcomes we see with the new rules this year? And could he somehow be even more valuable than he's been throughout his career? He was one of maybe 10 players in baseball last year that averaged more than one throw over uh, per opportunity you know with that you know not somebody on second you know so etc cetera, etc cetera. so um and uh that's important because if you throw over once then the second time you've boxed yourself in a corner so anybody who averages at least one throw is that much closer to getting that pitcher into the three the third pitch the third throw over scenario where if they throw it over a third time they have to get him or they uh, give up, they give up second on a balk, which is also interesting for fantasy players because that'll be a balk and not a stolen base. Mm. Should that be, should that be corrected? 
it's the mechanism they chose. I think the player should be rewarded and it should just be called a stolen base, but he didn't actually steal the base. So there's some technicalities in here, Smokey. So, you know, the thing is, I, I think you can't call it it's just a Friday reference. <laughs> it's Friday. It's Friday. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's, yeah, I think you couldn't call it a stolen base because didn't actually steal the base. But it's a little sad that Trey Turner won't get any credit for those. Oh, man. Here's the scenario. Trey Turner loses 10 stolen bases because he gets so many <laughs> so many bases that were balked to him. That would be horrible. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, we can have these dystopian nightmares if we want to. I, I also just recorded, uh, you know, because uh, Rates and Barrels is going to uh, four times a week, um, we are going to do some interviews. And I just recorded an interesting conversation with Stephen Vogt about what it's like from the catcher and run prevention uh, standpoint, what they think is going to happen. Uh, he agreed with me that he thought the the biggest explosion might be with these sort of tweeners, uh, the three to five stolen base guys, maybe doubling their stolen base outputs, where uh, you know he thinks that Trey Turner probably just uh, goes as often as he can and, and you know may not uh, necessarily steal a ton more. I was surprised. Do you know uh, the last 70 stolen base person? Juan Pierre? Um, Jacoby Ellsbury. Oh, yeah. You got, you got the 70? Yeah. Mm. Um, and there was another one uh, recently. So there's been a couple 70 stolen base people in the 2000s. I thought, I thought that that had been a really long time ago. So I guess seventies is attainable. I just I don't. Would you? I don't. Would I don't want to? I wouldn't like take Trey Turner and be like, okay, I got all my stolen bases. No, no, no. If you're looking for seasons like that since 2000, by the way, Jose Reyes had a 78 steal There's season in 2007. Yeah, Ellsbury had 70. Scott Pudsednik had a 12 homer 70 steal season for the Brewers in 2004. I watch that team I, w- I wonder if the rules bring back more players like that because he's exactly the kind of player that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> yeah like no power not really great at getting on base you know i wonder if a story will be a scott Pitsednik. yeah but Sednik hit 12 homers that year and slugged 364 he had a 76 <laughs> wrc plus 76 wrc plus like people they don't exist like that anymore <laughs> Not not guys that are going to get 700 plate appearances. That's very, very hard to do in the current game. But all of this is to say, I mean, I, I like Turner a lot. I think he's absolutely in consideration for me if I have that first overall pick. I think one of the arguments against him comes back to the depth at this position. I think shortstop runs 16, 17 players deep. Guys that you would trust to be in there every day. You're probably thinking about combinations of these guys. You know, they're the biggest, they're the best athletes on the field. They're the best players. That's they're good. You should just take them because they're good. I I, I do think there is a place in uh, the shortstop uh, rankings where I'm not as excited and I don't need to get the guy. But you know, so many of these top shortstops also run. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, I think around sort of down by Bogarts and Correa, I like them as players, but uh, they don't steal. And so, you know, maybe that's where depth can come into play and I and I can just wait 
uh, onto like later players, you know. Um, but uh, at the top, these these players they run the like, Turner, Bichette, Bobby Witt Jr., Francisco Lindor, you know, Dansby Swanson. They hit homers and run and hit for good averages. Like they're really good players, and they deserve to be taken uh, pretty high. Yeah, and I think we talked about Witt a little bit on the third base episode. When I look at him, my my only real reservation is that we saw him hit 254 with a 294 OBP mm-hmm. last season as a rookie. He should get better. He will almost certainly get better. Being a mid-first round pick, it's already priced in, right? This is probably a guy that without prospect hype, if that didn't exist, he'd go in the second round instead of the first. So you're not overpaying by that much. But my concern would be that maybe he doesn't take that step this year. Maybe it takes a couple of years. You just don't see a lot of guys with a sub-300 OBP become stars quickly. It does happen. I looked at a big leaderboard going back. I think I went back to 2000. And you saw some players who were under 23 that are very good players. Now, Xander Bogarts is actually one of them. He had a 240, 297, 362 line back in, in 2014. It happens. A lot of guys that are on this list, though, are players that are, are pretty flawed. Most of them don't have tools like Bobby Witt Jr. So the comps are are pretty flimsy. Anyway, my my main concern is that it might not happen as quickly the leap to being a possible 1-1 sort of player. Maybe it doesn't happen as quickly as some people would like. I can take a player at pick 8, pick 9, pick 10 that I have a lot more confidence in because they've got the multi-year track record, and they also do the things that Witt does. That's it. It's not that I don't like the player. It's that I like some of the other players I can take in that spot a little bit more, and I want a little more security in the middle part of round 1. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, if we're talking talking overall... Uh, I'm definitely taking, you know, like Kyle Tucker ahead of Bobby Wood Jr. But ADP says that's true. Um, you know, the would you rather from Bobby Witt that you're talking about there that you're referencing? Is that Jordan Alvarez, Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, uh, Vlad right. Guerrero? Those those are the types of players you would take over Bobby Witt? Yep, that's exactly right. And well, a Betts couple of those guys don't that run. runs, though. Right. A couple of those. Yeah, most of those guys don't run. But it's because I know there's bags there in round two. There's bags there in round three. You don't have mm. to get them right away. You can live with not getting your stolen bases or part That's of your stolen true. bases in round one. I'm a little fixated on, on getting uh, a five-tool player in the first round. But but if you see it, if, if you saw the growth you wanted to see over the course of Witt's rookie season, it was an amazing rookie season. If you saw it, go ahead, do it. The distance between his zone swing and uh, out-of-zone out swing grew over the over the uh, over the course of the season, his plate discipline improved over the course of the season. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what should happen for a guy that's supposed to be as good as he's going to be. And that's what that's what you need to see. And 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 the max EV at at one hundred thirteen seven is really good. It's not. It's actually close to elite. It's pretty elite. Um, the barrel rate eight point seven wasn't elite, but pretty good, I think, for your first season. Um, and he had massive ISOs in isolated slugging percentages in uh, in the minors. Um, and he was 42 to 44% better than league average in AA and AAA. So I think there's another level, and I think it's defensible, actually. I think it's defensible to take him where he is. However, I've made this mistake before where I've taken players ahead of Jordan Alvarez. <laughs> And that yep. dude is a beast. I think he's the best. I think you know this. Aaron Judge is a very good player, but I think I think Jordan Alvarez is maybe the best pure hitter in baseball. That's 
a big, but it's kind of to me, it's like, why would I not? What would I just, why would I, why would I pass that? on him? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Again, Bobby Wood Jr. is right a now. great player. He could, Witt could be that, but I, I actually don't think Witt could ever be the best hitter in baseball. I just don't, no. I don't see it. But he could be, I think he can be a 1 1 pick in fantasy. Yes. Because he's got enough power and speed to do it. Yeah. And the other thing I, I would kind of say to skeptics, fellow skeptics like me, is that, you know, 294 OBP from a rookie is not that bad. And last year, the 254, 294, 428 slash line was a 99 WRC plus. The league context is still really important. I think this is the reverse, uh, the Brian Reynolds problem, where Brian Reynolds is like, you look at that one, you're like, oh, that, that doesn't quite make sense. This is kind of happening with Bobby Witt Jr. too, where you're like, oh, actually, that, that's actually, that's fine. A league average line from a, a rookie, that's success by mm. any reasonable measure. And then he does it with power and speed, so it's perfect for our game. So uh, there's there's a case for him, but I, I think I just like other guys right in that spot instead. Maybe it's a it's a snake draft thing too, non-snake situation. Maybe I've got Witt and a couple of other hitters I like as my core. Mm-hmm. And keeper leagues, he's uh, of course one of the top five assets in the game. You know, yeah, one of the top five players in the game. Uh, the the turn uh, after the turn, there's a little bit of controversy for me. Uh, the early uh, shortstops in the second round, uh, we've talked Bobichet uh, to death. Um, you know, I, I think he's a, he's a really good player, uh, and there's something. Uh, uh, there's something that he's making it. He's making the the bad play discipline work for him uh, with a elite hit tool and a great spray charts. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've talked about how he started getting caught on the base pass that last year, but the rules may come just in time for him to, to kind of go back to, he could have a 30, 30 season next year. Um, and he could go 280-30-30. He's projected for pretty close to that. He's projected for 280-25-15. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I want a player with his kind of play discipline um, when he's 33, uh, but he's 24. Yeah, you so, get some time before that's a problem. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I think I, I'm cool with him now. He's in the middle of his career. The rules might be perfect for him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The next one is the real uh, the real tough one for me. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going 17th right now. Um, and there's just uh, so many things about him that I'm surprised that he's going in the second round. He's still... Uh, with it's almost like the Jacob deGrom of hitters, you know. He's in 539 plate appearances, um, which I guess is doable for him, um, even with the suspension and the, and the injuries. In 539 plate appearances, the Bat X says he's going to be the most valuable shortstop, and he must be one of the most valuable players overall, the fourth most valuable player overall. <laughs> so I guess if you're taking him at 17, you're actually getting 13 like picks of, of of discount on him. Sure. Yeah, you could you could make that argument. That's almost a full round discount. That's the case for. I think that's the pro case for <laughs> Tatis. I would take Wit over Tatis if I'm choosing. So just to give you an idea how far Wit would fall if if he fell and if I'm in the room, I'm not going to take Bo over Wit? No. I think I trust Witt's speed more than I trust Bo's speed. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the scouting grades on Bo's speed have been now validated by sprint speed. Right? He's not, a, he's not quite a burner. He runs fine, but he's not a burner. I think Witt's a little more of a burner. And that matters as far as keeping that stolen base total consistently high. The Tatis problem, <laughs> or problems, <laughs> there are many of them. The PEDs, right? There's always the question, what's the player going to be when he comes back from PEDs? I've always thought that the benefits just hang on in many ways. Like, you gain strength. If you maintain that strength, well, yeah, you got popped. You lost time. You lost money. But you keep you keep some of that strength, at least for a while. So I'm not... The PEDs, as far as the things I'm worried about, it'd be bottom of the list. The next question is the wrist. Two surgeries on the wrist, which started to seem like more of a problem than the shoulder, which I think in the eyes of most people is the the bigger of the two injuries. So he's got two significant injuries. He played through the shoulder. We know he's popping the shoulder in and out. It was a labrum surgery. And something you and I were talking about uh, before this episode is the difficulty of trying to parse out the specific nature of a player's injury. So in the case of Tatis... A labrum tear. There are a few varieties of labrum tear. There are severities, right? You could have a partial. You could have a complete. All of those things are very tough. You know, there's like, yeah. Yeah. Very, very tough to pin down because he was playing through it before the suspension happened, right? He was just, he was going to put off the surgery and he was able to play at this ridiculously high level. So you start to read the reports and you try to trust the injury experts the best you can. Virginia Zakis does a great job with inside injuries. She writes up pieces for The Athletic. Jeff Stotts does it at Rotowire. I know Jeff Zimmerman takes the data-driven approach, tries to look at the database and, and pull uh, pull things in, and figure out how much time people miss. Derek Rhodes has done this for years, so you look at the you look at the data and try and make the best possible decision based on the information we have. And I just I'm throwing this out there as more of a caution. The information is only as good as what teams and players share with us, and that can vary a lot from case to case yeah. too. I just the iconic moment for me is, you know, being in the clubhouse with Jose Altuve and he's got to go on the IL for his knee and we're literally asking him what's wrong with your knee and he's like I can't tell you. 
And I don't think we ever found out. Like, he's playing now. And what was wrong with his knee? You know, like, we still don't really know what was wrong with Jose Altuve's knee. And he's stealing bases and seems healthy. And like, okay, fine, I guess. But it's, it makes it really hard. Also, John Rogale uh, does... Um, does injury analysis on Tommy John surgery. And he was in the, in the course of a discussion pointing out that we don't always even know what they did in the Tommy John surgeries. Now there's this internal brace, which, um, you know, I think Tyler Glass now did that instead of the Tommy John. Um, if you lump him in with Tommy John returnees and say, oh, he's got the Tommy John, like we, we, we've said this on the pitching podcast, like, oh, he's got the Tommy John honeymoon. Well, does he actually with the internal brace? And there's like this, uh, that also points out that A, the information is not good, and B, the space is evolving, right? So we have this research that suggests there's a Tommy John honeymoon, but now there's a new Tommy John surgery, you know? And is it better or worse or what, you know? So, um, you know, like there's the, 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 that aspect to it. So I really appreciate what uh, Jeff Zimmerman has done, and he's got this, um, this piece where uh, he's he's looked at all the labrum chairs in, in the past um, and he's lumped them together and looked at their change uh, and the average uh, sort of change in WRC plus um, was, you know, sort of a drop of 20 points, um, you know, and Fernando Tatis Jr. was so good at, with 155 WRC plus that if he, if he was 133 WRC plus, he'd still be great. Um, other hitters with a projection around there are Paul Goldschmidt and Mookie Betts and Julio Rodriguez. So <laughs> like, okay. Still a first rounder. Okay. Yeah. Still great. However, there are so many people in this list that I just don't think are at all relevant. Like Tatis is 23 and he tried to keep it, you know, to, you know, to some, some relevant ages, but Paulo Sandoval was 29. Devin Masarocco was 28. Uh, you know, Derek Barton's surgery was in 2011. Jesus Flores's was in 2009. Uh, like, I think maybe the surgery has come someplace since then. The closest, uh, uh, you know, and then, and then there's the aspect of when you do analysis like this, do you actually know the true talent of the player before or after? You know, like he has Jake Myers on here. And so Jake Myers had uh, surgery to repair that labrum. He had a 109 WRC plus before and a 65 after. That looks really bad, and that affects the data set a lot. However, was Jake Myers ever a true talent 109 WRC plus? Like, do we know that that's how good he was? Right, and, we don't know that that's the case. Right, and, and that 65 after, how much was bad luck there? You know, so... Um, you know, one of the guys that uh, that stuck out for me was Justin Upton. Yes, the surgery was in 2009, but he was 22, um, and and Fernando Tatis Jr. is 23, uh, and Upton went on to have a, a great career afterwards. Um, and he didn't really uh, see that much of a drop in his. He didn't see a drop at all in his WRC plus. I think that's a, a nice uh, comp for me. That's that's a, a, a similar type of player in terms of athleticism, age. You know. Uh, and I think going forward, Tatis might be an outfielder. So I think that's a good comp. However, uh, you know, I I think there are some limits to doing this database. I and mean, we've, we've been pointing it out about the quality of information, the changes in the in the actual science underneath um, and, um, and and finding the right comps. 
I, I like uh, there's another uh, guy I would like to point out. Jesse Morse does some good stuff on on Twitter. That's like kind of the doctor approach where they look more at um, the general population. But how much does the general population in like how different is the athletic, uh, you know, group from the general population? Right. Like mm -hmm. if I had the surgery, it would take me. I would never, you know, like I, I, it would take me forever, you know. Um, well, but yeah. Tatis is twenty-two and an athlete. So what I like about um, about uh, Virginia Zakis and the inside injuries approach is it seems to be uh, both the data and the science. Um, and I think this uh, passage was uh, was actually maybe the the most damning for me, and maybe the reason I'm out. And it has nothing to do with the shoulder. You you you, uh, you alluded to this, but. Uh, Tatis, this is from Virginia Zakis' article on, on The Athletic, uh, January 25th, um, and it says here, Tatis' wrist injury was a scaphoid bone fracture. It is a very tough injury to recover from as this bone receives poor blood supply and it doesn't heal well. During the first procedure, multiple screws were inserted to stabilize the break, but another procedure was needed in October. This time the procedure involved one central screw replacing multiple screws. While it isn't surprising, it is concerning that Tatis' wrist requires second surgery. This one will take longer to heal. The timeline to recover from the shoulder and wrist surgeries will be fairly close, but the wrist is more likely to have long-term injuries. And she says, I would stay away from drafting him. Right. And it comes back to an elevated price. Yeah, even if he's projected to be a top five player by raw value, and you can get him at pick 15 or even pick 20, there's a massive amount of risk. I think comparing him to the position player equivalent of DeGrom is fair. Uh, I think you can just walk away at this stage from any player if for any reason. There's no, you yeah, don't have to draft anyone in this range just because you don't want the spreadsheet tells you to. First pick, right? Or your second pick? I think if you do, you have to be a lot more conservative with other things because you can't afford if you if the forty dollar player you drafted. Is, is not around and you get five dollars worth of value that's a pretty pretty big hit to your roster yeah although it may it may actually be uh part of a yolo situation where you know if you want if that's the risk then you want some five dollar guys that could be forty dollar guys so just build a build a you know you never know roster people talk <laughs> yeah people call this the like going for the overall because in the nfbc there's like an overall prize and I see some, some aspect to that that makes sense because, you know, the NFBC takes a, a fairly big rake in terms of what the money you put in and money you can win, at least in your local league. And part of that rake is to, you know, to put to the overall, which is a big prize of, you know, hundreds of, you know, hundred thousand. I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe I should know this specifically, but it's a big number. And uh, and then they also do a lot of lobbying and there's a lot of back end work and, you know. It makes sense that they need to money to operate, but you know it makes it also means that when you're building a team, you have this dual thing of like you know do I try to win my local league or try to win overall? And you could have this sort of YOLO. I'm going to you only live once. Like I you know I'm going for the overall prize where I take Tatis and Degrom and blah blah blah. blah. Um, but I think, uh, you know, you have to think about sort of return on investment. And like, if you took that strategy a bunch of times, you could just basically lose all your leagues and lose all your money, right? All your entry fees and all that. So I take a sort of in-between approach where I want to try and win my league because I want a good return on my investment. I want to 
end the year with more money than I started. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a lot of people play that way. I'll take some shots late, and like that's why, like in my main event, like I took Julio Rodriguez late last year because I was like, you know, it, yeah, if I am going to win this league, there's something's got to go kind of right. There's got to be some kind of hail maryish aspect to this. But I just don't want to make the whole roster a Hail Mary. I don't think I could handle leaning in and taking Tatis and DeGrom. <laughs> you could actually do that, couldn't you? Yo, you could double tap with that. That's <laughs> usually there for you at the end. I, I'm intrigued by it. I'm not bankrolled in a way where I can go to the main event and say, here's 1750. I don't care if this breaks. But I, I don't know if you have to crank the injury risk dial for the entire draft all the way to the max. I think <laughs> right. if you take those two guys, you could say, oh, great. I may, I may have got... Literally the two best players in the pool. It's possible on a per-game basis. I got the two best. And if they play 90% of the games they're supposed to play, and I do well with everything else, I'm fine. You don't have to go with, with that and say, I'm going to draft all these guys that have spent extensive time on the IL the last three years. You could you could actually like build a very solid core behind them. And I think that's fine, too. It's risky, but it's not as risky as like every possible risky decision you could make. I don't think, I don't think you have to go all in to get the benefits of the risk reward probabilities with those two players. Yeah. The good news is uh shortstop's pretty deep. And a nice thing about this, uh, this episode from a sausage making perspective is you don't really have to have the death charts open. No, no, you kind of just this know is, this is there are, these are the shortstops or they're not. I mean, it really, you have to get down to like maybe Tyro Estrada and Luis Urias uh, around 20 uh, by the auction calculator before you're really worried about any sort of depth chart issues. But you know, I, I think the next crew uh, is fine. The, I do actually wonder a little bit about Dansby Swanson because uh, I, you know, he was very much my least favorite uh, shortstop of the the shortstops that were available this year, and I, I just worry that you know the three forty eight BABIP, um, you know the the age uh, twenty seven season. Uh, the big season right before his best season by WRC plus right before signing a big deal. Uh, the most stolen bases he's ever had. Like there's just too much, too many uh, career highs, like his career high OBP, you know, like or second best OBP. Like I just, there's too much, too many career highs. Like I, I just feel like he's going to step back. That's very reasonable. New environment. Supporting cast not being as good also changes the floor quite a bit for Dansby Swanson. It's interesting that by projection, Francisco Lindor is supposed to be in this tier. By ADP, he is not. He goes 20 to 30 picks earlier than the beginning of this group. Uh, I'm wondering what you're doing. If you're sitting in the late part of round one where you're at the 2-3 turn and Lindor is there, are you passing because of the the way the projections play out compared to the likes of of Seeger and O'Neill Cruz and Tommy Edmond and Wander and Swanson? I, I think that Lindor's a better hitter than Swanson. Why is that not bearing out? I've wondered this too with his projections. I, I don't really understand why they're as light as they are. I think it's got something to do probably with the speed not being in the 20 range anymore. It's like 13 to 14 steals across the board, and that's Wait. with a pretty heavy volume of playing time. They're all projecting him for a 275 Babbitt. Career 294 Babbitt, 301 last year, but he had a real run there between 2017 and 2021 where he had low Babbitts. 
It's not because of fly balls. It's a 294 career Babbitt. Wouldn't you project that for him, though? Why would, why would it be 275? Why wouldn't it just be his career number? Is it the shift? He's a switch hitter. I don't know. Something seems a little off. Let me see. Uh, I'm just going to do a raw thing here real quick of uh, how often he was shifted. See if I can... Yeah. Yeah. He's generally was shifted more often as his career went on. Uh, and last year he was shifted the most he ever he's ever was shifted. And that will be less problematic for him this year. I'm taking the over on the projections, man. I know uh, Lind- you're right. Lindor uh, in the auction calculator for the bat is $19 projection. Swanson is a $17 projection. But in my head, I've got Lindor is more as a $20 player. And $20 players can go in the second round. Although, <laughs> hmm, Corey Seager, who will also benefit even maybe even more from the shift, but does not steal. Is, is projected to be more valuable than Francisco Lindor and should get a lot of the same benefit from the, from the other stuff. So maybe Lindor is a, is a, is a bad value draft, huh? Yeah, I think he's fine. I, I actually think there are a few more questions about this second tier that Lindor doesn't have. I mean, O'Neal Cruz. Don't want to talk about fun players that have a wide range of outcomes. Is he really going that high? Yeah, people love O'Neal Cruz. Where is he? 66. Pick 66. The seventh shortstop off the board. Well, I'm I'm glad Seager goes 58, and I would take him over, over O'Neal Cruz. And I was a guy that, that took a lot of O'Neal Cruz, and he definitely has. He was on that article uh, from Ben Clemens in terms of guys that have great raw power and could unlock it. Um, and the problem is, I love that article, and I'm drafting off that article, but I'm drafting late off that article. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm after pick 200, sure. Jesus Sanchez off that article. I'm not drafting O'Neill Cruz in, at 66 off, off that article, you know. So um, I think uh, the fact that O'Neill Cruz struck out 50% of the time against lefties last year, and it was 50% of the time in every month, thanks to shout out to Jeff Zimmerman for that poll, but uh, that is a real eye-opener for me. Um, and then... You know, I, I just think that's he's really scraping the top of acceptable strikeout rates for me. So Corey Seager is much safer for me. And he's he's definitely no matter how you slice it, he's going to benefit from the shift rules. Right. I think the only drawback with Corey Seager is that usually you're getting some stolen bases from middle infield spots. So not get them from a middle infield spot specifically it just means you got to make sure you get a few extra bags somewhere else. Not the end of the world. It is a thing. Uh, but that is a big gap for Seager being projected to be better than Francisco Lindor and going 62 and Lindor going 29 uh, is a huge gap. And what's also funny about it is no shortstops go in between. That's just going to change over time. Seager's going to go up, 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 up. I don't know. I think that's where everyone's drafting pitchers in that mm-hmm. that cushion between yes, Lindor and Seager. in between, yeah. I think it's more like, oh, we can wait on Corey Seager. And that's just the, the consensus opinion. That, uh, yeah, I can wait. And it's, so far, it's working. Maybe there will be some rooms where he gets jumped up a little bit. But I think everyone's chasing something else. Or they're chasing bags. If they're not getting a pitcher in that spot, they're, they're, looking, for, they're looking for steals or looking for saves or looking for starting pitchers instead of uh, a great shortstop that doesn't run. Well, there is a there is a opportunity there. 
uh, to maybe go <clears throat> and also not take a reliever in the top four. It, that's an easy way to get Seager, right? Go bat, arm, bat, or bat. I guess you could go bat, arm, arm, Seager. But the fourth is where you need to take Seager if you want to jump him and make sure you get him. And it would still be a value pick at in the fourth round. I would rather, if I'm going to have that build... I'd rather have two other bats that run. And I might, it really depends on who the pitcher is. So you go Whether it's a starter or a reliever. Bat, arm, bat, Seeger. So you'd, you'd be three bats out of four then. Yeah, either it'd be bat, arm, bat, Seeger, or bat, bat, arm, Seeger. Yeah. But you need some steals. But that means no closer. Unless you're an insane person and you go closer and three bats before you take your first starting pitcher. That's not insane. I could do that. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it seems insane to me. <laughs> There's so many ways to play. Like, come on. That's like, true. That's true. That's true. You could hit the, the, the high-end number twos pretty hard after that. Yeah. We had a whole bunch of pitchers we liked in that pitch. That's true. Uh, pick 100 to 150 range. <clears throat> if you like those guys, you believe in them. You can get three from that range and hold off on pitching early or get one pitcher early and then go to town arm in that arm range. after Seager. Well, the, it, it I do think that that's you're right that that's why Seager is where he is. Um and then, you know, Seager unlocks a little run uh, of shortstops by ADP where it's O'Neill Cruz, Tommy Edmond, Dansby Swanson, um and then Wander Franco and Xander Bogarts, they all go before 85. So that's, you know, like four or five in the next 20. Um, the auction calculator says you should be taking of those of that group. Uh, Swanson, I guess. Um, the auction counter does not like Edmund where he's going. Uh, does not really like Cruz where he's going. I'm, I'm with the calculator on this one. I'm becoming the person who is very boring with the the players I draft early. O'Neill Cruz is fun, therefore DVR does not want him on his roster in 2023. <laughs> You're a no fun guy. I'm a no fun guy in the first six or seven rounds usually. Yeah, so you know, actually Swanson, as much as I, I talk crap on him, this is how the Cubs ended up with him, where it's like, eh, we didn't spend $300 million. You know, like, eh, Swanson's okay where he's going. I guess he's okay where he's going. You know, he's actually, he's fine where he's going. Um, and uh, there is a name that I did not say that it that li- that the auction calculator likes better than all the names I did say, except for Swanson. Willie Adamas, man. Yeah. Willie Adamas is, uh, by the auction calculator, a $16 player and is worth more than Tim Anderson, Xander Bogarts, Tommy Edmond, Carlos Correa, O'Neill Cruz, and Wander Franco. All guys who go ahead of him. Well, we've got a full two-year run now where we've seen that the power is more like 30 home run power. And that came even in a season with the dead and ball last year. The biggest concerns with Willie Adamas would be that the batting average has never really been great over a full season. So he's just sort of been okay. And last year it was bad at 238. But for a guy that had a 13% barrel rate, that seems pretty, pretty the First low. year his BABIP was below 320. That's kind of, that seems relevant. Yeah, so the odds of Willie Adamas, if everything else was the same, the odds of him hitting 238 again, they're not great. He's probably going to hit 250, 260 again. But there's room for a little more, and he runs a little bit. I, I don't really see much of a difference between Willie Adamas and Dansby Swanson, and I would probably look at the parks and say I'd rather have Adamas. Like I could feel 
more confident in Adamus's power than I can in Swanson's power right now. Hundred percent. The uh, the leg thing is is interesting, but Swanson's coming off a career high. Even with the new rules, I could see him settling back down to twelve to fifteen. You know, people. I think really. I think people really do steal more bases in contract years. <laughs> That's something that someone should study because Aaron Judge, you know, stole so many more bases than he normally does. You know, and I I think they're just like I want every part of my package to look good when I'm, you know, when my my agent is trying to trying to uh, to sell me. So and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Is there anyone you're avoiding from this, this bat cluster? If we're, we're both sort of out on cruise around that pick 65, 70 range, not because he can't be good, but because he's got a lot of flaws he's going to have to work through. Edmund's a guy we're passing on. Swanson seems like a guy we're passing on. We like Adames. Wander, Bogarts, Tim Anderson, they all seem pretty solid where they're going. I actually think I like Bogarts even more than Swanson. I think Bogarts is slightly underdrafted right now. Batting average could actually be a great category for him. Run production, power might be waning a little bit, but those counting stats should be really good too. Yeah, uh, there is a weird thing where like in Boston, um, the, the, the Green Monster turns homers into doubles. Um, but it also turns flyouts into doubles. <laughs> you know what I mean? mm-hmm. um, so there's this kind of like Homer suppression, but batting average inflation that happens um, in Boston. And you just wonder uh, how much, you know, like when when people uh, talk about like Adalberto Montesi playing in, in Boston, like people uh, were, were talking about like, oh, he needs to learn to use the wall. So it really looks like Bogarts, in a way, learned to use the wall. And will he unlearn that? You know, will he go back to trying to be more of a, a power hitter? Um, you know, last year was the, the highest ground ball rate he'd had in the last five years. 
Um, is that an aging thing? Was that a, a thing he did on purpose? So um, definitely some questions, I think, about what he will look like. So I'm not actually that in on him. Um, and, you know, there, but there's always a quite, there's always like a use case where it would make sense for my team. You know, I think that I think the batting average projection on him is a little bit light for a guy that seems to have an elite hit tool to, to hit 260, 269. I think he can hit 280 or better. So I think he's a, a guy where you're like, oh, my batting average wasn't great. And my top few picks, and he could help my batting average. I think that's where I would take him. And he actually goes right next to a guy that I, I have a similar use case. It's a different use case, but it, it, Tim, and, uh, Tim Anderson is not my favorite type of player in terms of the way he is, uh, the way his plate discipline is. I love his game. I love his excitement. I love uh, his athleticism. But in terms of like a collection of statistics, uh, it's not my favorite uh, type of player in terms of not great plate discipline, not great power, um, and uh, not like sort of 30, 40 stolen base type uh, uh, history in there. Um, so, but I have found myself taking Tim Anderson if I f feel I'm light on stolen bases. So I think that Tim Anderson's Andrew Bogart's, uh, decision is fascinating, uh, cause I can find flaws in both. Uh, and I would love to maybe avoid them, but I found myself having to draft one or the other for different builds, uh, because I do think there's a little bit of a drop off after them. Um, you know, after them on the auction calculator, you're talking about Tommy Edmund, who I don't really want Carlos Correa, who doesn't steal and has a bit, you know, a big injury risk, uh, you know, that we didn't even really know about <laughs> as bad mm -hmm. as, as, as bad as it was O'Neill Cruz, who's a, uh, a batting average risk and a, a strikeout risk. Um, and I think I'd want to go down to sort of Wander Franco. Um, I'd want to wait. I think if I didn't take him, Tim Anderson. So Tim Anderson's the last one I sort of want at ADP. The rest I kind of want to wait on. Because if I'm going to take Wander Franco where he's going, uh, he's just projected so close to Ahmed Rosario and Jeremy Pena that I, I could just lump those three together and uh, and take them. And I think their, their output will actually be similar. Um, I could just take whichever one of the three fell instead of paying a lot for Wander Franco. Maybe I'm wrong. Wander definitely has the most upside of the group. Are you, are you? Do you see enough to to pay the the price for Wander Franco? I'd still rather. I mean, if, look, if you're if you're trying to swing for the fences at shortstop, and O'Neill Cruz is going around pick sixty five, and Wander goes 10, 15 picks later, similar range. I'm taking Wander. Yeah, I mean, at I'm, least I'm he taking, makes a ton of contact. Makes a ton of contact. I know we haven't seen. Haven't seen the in-game power yet. It's 13 homers over 153 games in the big league. So almost a full season. 13-10 for a guy that hasn't turned 22 yet. He turns 22 in good March. Good raw power, though. Good max EV. Good raw and so good with the hit tool that it seems impossible he won't begin to unlock more of that power. And I, I just like that he ran a little bit last year, too. That was a bit of a, an unknown. So you give him 10, 12 bags, potentially, on top of being an asset and average no days off so long as he's healthy. The power, if it if it's 15 homer power, you're okay with that in this range. He could probably get you more. I, I think get you a lot more, but I, I think you only have to get a little more to be really happy with where he's going right now. So I'm in at the price. I think it it still makes sense, and it's rare to get a player who is 
projected as highly as Wander has been as an extremely young player, it's rare to be able to get that player after pick 75 in redraft as he enters his third year. He's going over Xander and Tim Anderson right now. Probably taking him over Anderson, not Xander. Part of my part of my belief in, in Bogarts, I know for a right-handed hitter, Petko's not as bad as it is for a lefty from a power perspective. It's mm. changed for a few years, so that's that's part of it. Bogarts has had that wrist injury, too, that has sapped some of his power in recent years. If that wrist is healthy, I think that mm. power can bounce back and be low to mid-20s home run power pretty easily. So I think I'll take Bogarts over Wander for this year. Because of Anderson, a lot of absences over the years, you know, just tends to get dinged up quite a bit. I'd take Wander over Tim Anderson, but I would take Bogarts over Wander for this year only. Yeah, I think it's important not to uh, be just a total absolutist when it comes to the auction calculator or the numbers. You know, Tim Anderson, uh, $2 more projection than Wanda Franco. But if you, you know, looking at these sort of 80th percentile and 20th percentile projections has really opened my eyes to uh, the shape of these projections. You know, that that's spitting out Tim Anderson as a $16 median player with 589 plate appearances. Um you know, if that if he's lighter than those 589 plate appearances, that's a way he can be worth less than Franco. And then Franco's 80th percentile projection is going to be way better than Tim Anderson's 80th percentile projection. Yeah. So the the sort of error bands about these projections are meaningful as well. Uh, so if you see them as being basically both $15 players, then you should take Wander Franco. Yeah, that's a great summary. It is pretty much how I see it right now with those two <laughs> players. Let's go to the third tier, a uh, small third tier. Jeremy Pena, Carlos Correa, Ahmed Rosario, Nico Horner. Not a bad group of players. If you missed in tier two and weren't positioned in tier one to get someone, I think you could live to tell the tale of a team that did really well with really, I don't know, maybe maybe any of these guys. I think I'm, I'm a lot more confident in Pena and Correa. I think Rosario last year may have been that career year we were hoping for from Ahmed Rosario. That's very likely to me. But he's not overpriced. I think he's fairly priced where he's going. I think of this group, Nico Horner's the guy that I'm the least sure about because I think he's another one of those players that has a a richer injury history than you realize. And if you pair that with some skills that have kind of all shown up at once, you wonder, like, is he going to fall back a little bit from a power perspective? Is the stolen base volume from last year reliable? Why, like, how does he... How does he continue forward and continue growing on this profile? Is there another level for Nico Horner? I think it's, to me, something I'm just not sure about. Yeah, I think there is. I think you're right. Uh, the, the auction calculator says they're basically similar players, except uh, has Horner as a $9 player, Rosario as a $12 player. So that's a, that's, that's a bigger gap. But it's a little bit like the Wander Franco situation where I think Ahmed Rosario is a very safe $12 and Nico Horner is a guy who could return $15 value or $5 value. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit tough to uh, to figure out which one, but I like that he got to the 517 plate appearances last year. I like silly things like the uh, he has a no-look homer, BP homer on, 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 on uh, social media right now. Um, I just like that because I think I think there is another level, but I don't really 
every once in a while you run into somebody where you don't really have statistical evidence for it. <laughs> like his I just his like max this player. TV, yeah i just like it I, the, the the max tv was a 1097 that's not that's that's um i would just say you know 108 is about average so that's pretty mediocre raw power the bail rate is awful um and uh there's nothing really to point to other than i just love the contact and i think he's going to grow into more kind of doubles and homers output in the future yeah, i just think it puts a ton of pressure on the speed he was so efficient it's totally possible that he can repeat the 20 steal season from a year ago but when the barrel rate is that low that category can't dip and I wonder if the counting stats are also going to lag a little bit too. I do like some of the additions the Cubs have made. So maybe maybe we'll see a little bit of a bump from Nico Horner in that runs column and that RBI column this season. I think Jeremy Pena is really interesting too because the season in 2022 was very solid. 253 average, 22 homers, 11 steals, good counting stats. And he was hurt. There's a clear drop-off from his first injury. like The production pre-injury and what he did after. I think we saw him start to get healthy again late in the year, played really well in the playoffs as well. I I don't know how long you're going to be able to get Jeremy Pena clearly behind that ADP Tier 2 group, but I really like taking advantage of that. He's kind of the perfect MI sort of player for me. If I've already got one of the guys from the first two tiers, I'm very happy to take Pena around that pick 100 range. Yeah, the the only thing that's weird for me is that he definitely chased more as the season went on. He definitely seemed to have a hole low and away. You know, he has a bit of a, a propensity to swing over the top of sliders. And I have a little bit of PTSD from late career Andrew Jones, uh, watching him in Atlanta uh, and, and, and after of how that can play out. And But maybe it's another concern that I shouldn't worry about so much when he's young, you know, like when he's young and spry, he's going to make enough contact on those uh, and enough powerful contact on those to uh, keep hit, hit pitchers honest. And it won't be as much of a problem until he's older and just can't make contact like Andrew Jones did at the end of his career. Um, I don't know. There is a little whiff of risk around Pena that is represented by his walk rate, his chase rate. And that hole opening up, his chase rate going up as the season went on, um, that I think is, um, I guess, baked in now, you know? I, I think that is baked into the price now, but if people start hyping him, I'm worried that uh, he could uh, kind of outgrow his draft cost. I'm okay at uh, 105 right now or, you know, low hundreds. I'm okay with uh, taking him ahead of Correa. Uh, you know, I would take a Thomas, of course, over him um, as 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 the draft position does. Um, but uh, if he kind of if he goes ahead of a Thomas, or if he starts getting into the Tim Anderson uh, late '80s or something, I may not end up with Pena. Yeah, I think you're probably looking at a guy that has a similar line to Willie Adames when the season is over with less power. I think that's to me the mm. biggest difference. Like why why is Pena behind that group right now? But I can I can live with that cuz I think those counting stats are going to be really good uh with him being the everyday shortstop in Houston again. Carlos Correa returning to Minnesota. We've seen it for a year so we kind of get a feel for how he fits into that ballpark. It's a lot like the Corey Seager problem, a shortstop that doesn't run. I think you see Correa get dinged a lot more because of the extent of his injuries, but last year did get up to 590 plate appearances. It gives him 
1,230 over the last two seasons combined. If you if you kind of take away everything before that, you could feel a lot better about Correa's durability. So how much do the longer-term injuries worry you with Correa as you try and forecast out his volume for playing time this year? Because if you think he can get to 590 again, he's probably underpriced by two rounds right now. It's true, and the auction calculator loves him because they've got him at 620 plate appearances, which he's done twice in his career. I tend to think that there's a powerful narrative here that we just underwent this offseason that should be telling us that there's more injury risk here than at first appeared. Yes, I think the question has been, though, how much of that is year five, six, yeah. seven of the long-term deal, and how much of that was twenty twenty-three? Like I, I think a lot of that was far the deal into the future. Did, yeah, because the deal he did end up getting, he did get a lot of money in the short term. So they, you know, definitely did seem to be a disagreement about, you know, should we give him a thirteen-year deal or a six-year deal? I'm in for this year. I'm fine. I have no issue with it. I like the skills. And uh, the only difficulty, I think he seems like a Corey Seager light, you know, a Corey, you know, and uh, the only difficulty is, you know, making sure you get steel somewhere else. I think he can do, I think Correa can do every single thing that we want Corey Seager to do. I think he can do all of it. It's just going to come down to health. And I think Seager had that hip surgery a few years ago, hasn't had the same types of chronic things. Mm-hmm. It's been a, a slightly shorter list of ailments, I would say, for, for Seager, but yeah, this this me stands out as a, a little a great bit of a righty player. versus lefty thing too, where Seager is a lefty and might benefit more from the shift rules. But there's a lot of similarities in terms of raw power, barrels, you know, disciplined uh, contact. You know, just a a guy who's likely to hit for a, li- a high batting average with power. Yeah, I think Ahmed Rosario. Just to bring him up for a minute, he is okay where he's going. I think he's he's a good kind of a. A life raft if you're short on speed in the middle infield. I think he can help you there. Batting average floor is pretty high. I am always skeptical of the power. It kind of has the Nico Horner-ish low barrel rates, a little higher than Horner, 4.5% last year. But it's just it's hard to bank on that. So much depends on his his legs I think you're uh, right as far that as his value just, goes. He's maxed out a little bit. Yeah, there's, maybe, nothing, there's nothing else there to tack on. Maybe some steals with the new rules, but... I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I think he's, I think he's reached his, his, his apex. The weirdest cluster of players we've talked about in this entire series is this fourth (laughs) ADP tier of shortstops. I do not want any part, I think, of, actually, I don't want any part of any of this. No, I don't think I want to draft any of these players. Tyro Estrada, Javier Baez, Adalberto Mondesi, Bryson Stott. Jorge Mateo. Playing time is actually a problem for everyone except for Baez. <laughs> this is where you actually have to get the depth charts out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I could see Tyro Estrada coming close to another everyday role just because the Giants didn't get a whale to put in the infield to eat up all the playing time. So, okay, like, and by whale, I mean Carlos Correa or a player like that. Right, but they got one of the big time, shortstops. It you know, breaks Crawford everything down. Is coming back and they have, uh, they have other players at second and third where Tyro would play. So there's an easy narrative where Tyro doesn't play necessarily every day and gets to like 500 plate appearances, but gets there in a way that's really annoying to people who are in weekly leagues. 
Right. He he to me he's he's like a Med Rosario with playing time downside risk. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm not ooh. I'm not into it. Javi Baez, uh, you know, there has been a little bit of a resurgence of people backing him because his price has fallen so low and he you know, he still hits homers and steals bases. I think if the if I had if I was forced to shop in this tier, I would take Javi Baez. You mentioned the end of Andrew Jones's career, I think, a little earlier <laughs> yeah, in this episode. Right. <laughs> and I remember, I think it was my first year in Tout Wars, I traded for Andrew Jones, and it was a, it was a bad Andrew Jones year. Was that the, like, d- like Dodgers Andrew Jones or something? Oof. I, yeah, I think it was Dodgers Andrew Jones. Horrible decision. Early season trade, he was hurt, it was a total mess. I I think the problem with Javier Baez has been well documented throughout his career, the the free-swinging approach that enables him to unlock incredible raw power, it works against him. And the older you get, the more that works against you. Now, I think the the, the, the true downside here is if you're in a league like AL Labor, and there's not many leagues out there like this anymore, but if you're in a league where you draft him and he has to stay in your lineup or be cut unless he gets hurt... And there is no replacement. He could do amazing damage to you. Like that, is, <laughs> that is in his range of outcomes. Yeah, I mean, he could have a season where he hits 188 with, you know, with like 15 homers. Right, and they're not going to sit him. I mean, it's year two of a six-year, $140 million contract. He's playing. He's oh going to play God. every day. So that's the, the, the good news. If you, if you need playing time, Baez is going to play. And the good news is most leagues don't have the AL labor rule where you have to leave him in your lineup. You can if cut him. You can make that decision. Year. Underneath, you still see an 8% barrel rate. It was a big drop from where he was. I think there's something Four here. Four mile power to drop in raw power. I think if you said you got to draft one guy from this group, it's Baez. Yeah. It's actually not that close for me. Yeah, it's it's the only one that leaps off the page is okay. Like I'll hold my nose and do it. I don't want right. any of the other ones really. I think Stott. I think Stott has some secret playing time risk with Josh Harrison of, in town. Yeah, Harrison. Yeah, we talked about that addition a little earlier in the week. So I think some of the appeal of Stott has faded. Mateo, as they keep adding more and more young infielders, more young players, that depth chart, his playing time keeps going down. It's the same kind of problem that Tyro Estrada has, except there's prospect pressure coming. Yeah, Jordan Westberg. Westberg. uh, Norby. Connor Norby, I think, could be part of the the mix in the infield eventually. And, like, like, couldn't Gunner play short? Like, he just, he was a shortstop. Yeah, Gunner can play short and third. Like, till last year. Uh, Jordan Westberg is knocking on the door, dude. I didn't even actually realize how close he was. He's had a 129 WRC plus in AAA last year and a 122 in AA last year. He's like, he's actually a pretty good draft and hold uh, pickup, I think. He could, he's going to play in the big leagues this year. Yeah, Westberg and Joey Ortiz both look like they're ready to play in the big leagues. So they have plenty of infield depth, and that is not a good thing for Jorge Mateo. No, because he's not a good player. Sorry. He's about a new rebuilding team. Way better than I am. He's like super athletic and like super toolsy, you know, good yeah, defensive he shortstop. Had, he know. almost had three wins in the big leagues last year. I, I'm, I'm not, I, that's rude of me to, to be like that. But it's not, a, it's not the type of, it's not at all the type of player I would try to build around. And I don't think that the Orioles are either. It seems to me like a future uh, utility guy or a guy that you, move to center, you know, or, you know, but they don't need that. But like, you moved him to second, you know, just move him further and further away from the core of the team until he's just like your utility guy on a good team, you know? 
if I had to build the Marlins roster for this season, I'd rather have Jorge Mateo at shortstop than Joey Wendell. And that maybe that ends up being a thing that happens. Uh, you know, the, the, the Baltimore Orioles are open for business, and I think he's an easy guy that they could trade away. So that, that would be a good news for Mateo in terms of playing time, but I don't want to bet on anything like that. I think the bet here is on the under on his projected. Oh, actually, it's already baked in. If you're using the auction calculator, you're not going to end up with Jorge Mateo because right now he's already at 300 plate appearances in the bad X. He's below the fold. It gives you 30 players by default. You got to go to 50 on ATC to see him. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I do have some uh, names, I think, that uh, come out of the auction calculator that I'd like better than this group. Um, I would take... Uh, Javi Baez is, is one, I think, that... Okay, let's take him from this group. Um, in the next group, uh, the two names that I've got circled are Ezekiel Tovar and Luis Urias. Um, Urias is actually, I think, an ideal MI um, in a lot of cases, but maybe just just across the board ideal MI. And here's my case for him. Um, uh, decent barrel rate. Decent max EV, decent strikeout rate, decent walk rate, decent defense. One of the better projections on the, on the Brewers, so he's going to play. And then his eligibilities are super useful. No matter what, like, yes, in draft and hold, very useful. But even in like a regular situation, it's very useful to have a, 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 a MICI. You know, he's going to be second, third, and short eligible. That's just super useful if you have that guy at mi and your shortstop gets hurt boom you have a replacement shortstop and you can go shopping in the mi pool instead of the s instead of the shortstop pool you know and if you and if you have a injury to your ci you can move him over to ci and he has that kind of average fantasy profile where he's just gonna he's not gonna hurt you in any category you know what i mean like he's gonna he's basically gonna be the average fantasy player he's gonna hit 260 with 20 homers and eight steals you know, like that's that's kind of my projection in my head for him. He's going to benefit from the saves, uh, the, the steals rules because he's right at that cusp of go, no go where he's got some speed, but not enough to go a lot. And I think he's going to go more this year. So that's my case for Luis Uris. And I don't think I have to make it to you. No, I just think the, the versatility alone, he makes a lot of sense there. So if you didn't draft him to fill another need, the MI situation is absolutely perfect. Uh, goes outside that ADP tier four group for some reason that I can't quite figure out. But this last group is where you do throw the darts, right? Yeah, Tovar, who you mentioned, CJ Abrams. I, I think I'd rather throw the the dart at Tovar over Abrams for a lot of reasons. Tovar has shown more more evidence of power, right? Is that is that where you're? Yeah, you're looking at that and plus a really nice use case at least where you can be like, at least I use them at home. You know, it's just going to sure. paper yeah. over a lot of issues. The thing about C.J. Abrams that I think is easy to overlook is he, because of injuries in the minor leagues, did not play a lot in the minor leagues. And is still, he's at least holding his own. Yeah. He's, not, he's not, a, not a 50 WRC plus guy in the big leagues. He's very young. Did he have one level. last year? One? Five. Yeah, not, not many. He doesn't walk a lot. But if you're throwing darts for cheap speed, I can mm-hmm. see it. If you're you're speed desperate, and you want to take someone that can help you. And they're going to play them all year because they want to be like, look what we got in our trade. We we're not idiots, right? And I think if you you need some evidence of a player that 
has the low barrel rate and did well for us last year, Nico Horner, right? Mm. Like if, if Abrams power doesn't show up in 2023. But he does not have the same hit tool as Nico Horner. Doesn't have that hit tool, but does put a lot of balls in play. I don't know. Like I, I'm still I'm still intrigued by Abrams. I think you're right. Tovar's situation is better with Coors Field and a little more pop that he's shown. What, what do you do with the Yankees' young shortstops? I had I had a, a bit of a, an eye-opening uh, thing. I'm writing another 80-20 piece uh, where I'm looking at 80th and 20th percentiles and zips. And um, I had this uh, amazing look into zips where uh, the 80th percentile for Anthony Volpe is a four-win player, but the 20th percentile was a two-win player. And that 20th percentile projection was better than uh, Oswald Cabrera and Oswald Peraza's regular projections. So the floor projection for Volpe was better than the regular projection for the other two guys. So I do think, I've, I have heard uh, some in the scouting community uh, are questioning Anthony Volpe. Um, and, uh, you know, there, I would love to see his like barrel rates and EVs and stuff, but, um, and they don't seem to be just awarding him, uh, shortstop, you know, uh, when they needed to in the past. So, and then I guess a, a 99 plate appearance, triple A stint that was no good. A softening of the WRC plus as he's as he's advanced in the in the minors. I guess there's some uh, some questioning around Volpe, but Volpe's the one I want out of all of them. And I and this is the team that played Derek Jeter at short forever. I think they're headed towards Volpe at short. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot that can go right for Volpe. I mean, if, if we if we like Tovar because he's shown some evidence of power, we've at least seen that from Volpe. We've seen patience. We've seen high walk rates in the upper levels of the minors. He's played at AAA. I think the hardest thing to figure out right now is how long do you have to wait? If he doesn't earn the opening day job between now and then, do you wait a month? Do you wait two? Can you, can you afford to stash him? You have to draft him thinking he's a stash. He goes late enough where you can justify it. But you'd usually get one, as we like to say, especially in NFBC situations where there's no IL and you've got seven bench spots. You can't have that many players who aren't contributing. But I think the possibilities, the ways he could end up making up that value, there are enough of those ways for this to work. He's the guy that I want, even if they go with Cabrera first. Yeah, and I, 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 I could see there's a little whiff of like the Julio Rodriguez like situation could happen where if he's playing a lot, he's playing with the starters in spring and he's playing a lot and they haven't necessarily started talking because there was that moment where right before they started talking about, Oh, who really might make the opening day roster. Even before that, there was like just this one moment of, of opportunity where you could just be like, wait, they're playing Julio Rodriguez all the time. They're playing with the starters. He's going to, he's going to stay with the team. So I think if Volpe is playing shortstop a lot in spring, over the other guys, I think read the tea leaves. So he gets more interesting to me the more he plays in spring training. Any other late, late darts at this position? If you're in draft and hold, you can afford to, to wait on some guys that might not debut right away. So I, I've seen Ellie De La Cruz go really, really late just in case he's up for you know, August and Novelli September. I think Marte has to be ahead of him. I don't understand that. Maybe yeah. Marte's already off of shortstop, so you know he's 
we're going to come up for third, but no, Marte is ahead of him in terms of minor league progression. Um, so I don't, I don't know how that's going to go. That much more likely that Ellie De La Cruz plays in the big leagues this year than Jordan Lawler. If you're thinking about your, your NL only draft and hold, like what could go right sorts of things. I would say that Lawler is more likely, um, because that team really needs a shortstop and is closer to competition than the Reds. So I think Lawler's more likely. I, I, I think Ellie's a bit of a long shot one. I'd rather have Volpe or Lawler if I'm talking about prospects. Among players that are going to play in the big leagues that I like, uh, that are definitely going to play in the big leagues that I like in this area, I think Haseon Kim is interesting. Um, you know, there's a, there's enough of a growth pattern there. He's 27. I could see a peak year where he hits like 260 and like, honestly, there's a whiff of like, you know, could he go 260, 2020? That's mm-hmm. gotta be like a, within the range of outcomes. He's projected for like 240, 1210. Well, we've got the steel rules, um, you know, and they may just give him shortstop. You know, and what would that do for a young player who's gotten better every year he's been in the big leagues and has gotten used to it? What would it do to 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 be given shortstop with Tatis on the same team? You know, and just be like, all right, man, this is my year. So uh, there's I like I like him a little bit. Uh, There's it's a little bit of a feel thing, like with Nico Horner. But I just really like there is skills growth. You know what I mean? Like you just see he got better. They, he, they gave him more playing time. He got used to the league. He struck out less. He walked more. Uh, you know, didn't necessarily hit for more power, but uh, accrued more power numbers and just looked like a real solid player. I mean, the three point three point seven wins, like a four win player, that's all star level. So uh, I'm taking I'm taking Kim in that uh, in that last grouping. There's one more name I wanted to bring up because we didn't talk about him in all of the Mondesi chatter earlier in the week, but the Royals have a guy, Michael Garcia, that could end up playing a lot more as a result of Mondesi's departure. I realize Mondesi being hurt as often as he's been hasn't chewed up that much playing time, but when you look at what the Royals have right now, Garcia can actually play shortstop by all accounts. They can use Witt at third if they want to and play Garcia at short, play Massey at second, and make Nicky Lopez the super utility guy. The depth chart I look at right now basically has one of Nicky Lopez or Hunter Dozier playing a lot. And it also has some guys in the outfield that could play less at the expense of MJ Melendez, who Rotowire has as the primary DH. So I just think there's, there's, enough, there's enough flexibility or enough opportunity in the Royals' depth chart where Garcia could actually emerge to be a really nice endgame pick if, if he's going to break camp with the team. I mean, spent some time at AAA last year, hit 274, 341, 463 was the line. Yeah, that, that's the first time he slugged like that. I don't really believe it. I see a below average major league bat here. I see no power. Uh, Speed, though. 39 steals between the two levels. Only caught eight times. Yeah. This is like, I just feel like Nicky Lopez again. <laughs> the right-handed Nicky Lopez. Yeah, which is that makes it worse. Um, the uh, the other name that I I want to bring up, and this is uh, kind of a, a deep league thing, is uh, JP Crawford in draft and holds and in mono leagues. I think is one of these just perfectly acceptable players um, that will get I think another 600 plate appearances this year. May steal a little bit more with the new rules. 
um, and has enough raw power where there could be a year where he hits 12 homers. So, you know, uh, the, the main thing is like in a draft and hold, this is a bench shortstop that will play. You can't, you can't, you can't back up your starters in draft and hold with prospects. You know, there has to be a, a one who will play. And in my draft and hold that I'm in the middle of, um, you know, my backups at, uh, at, at first are like G-Man Choi, at second, Adam Frazier, uh, at short, J.P. Crawford. Um, you know, he's my third because I've got Urias. But those are the types of players I like taking in draft and holds. They're veterans that are going to play, and I can plug them in. And there's some reason to like them. G-Man Choi you know, hits into the shift a ton and the shift rules are changing. Adam Frazier hits into the shift a ton and the shift rules are changing. JP Crawford is just a, a, you know, could steal some more and is just an accruer of plate appearances. So um, I know that's not what you want on your tombstone, accruer of plate appearances. That does not, that does not sound like a, uh, an impassioned, uh, defense. It's definitely nothing like my Luis Urias screed, uh, but it is uh, something that is in J.P. Crawford's favor. Has a starting job, doesn't seem to have a lot of in-house competition to yeah. lose that playing time, so I think that bodes really well for J.P. Crawford in, in very deep formats. Yeah, It's mono league, it's AL only, it's you know 20 team super deep mix leagues, and it's just being good enough to uh, rack I traded some... for him in Devil's Rejects because we just didn't have a shortstop. <laughs> are, are you happy with your decisions? Uh, if I only traded a fourth round draft pick after a keep twenty eight and a team in a twenty team keeper, so I didn't spend that much. That's not that bad. Uh, one other note on the way out the door: Bryce Terang, shortstop eligible in NPC leagues, could be a cheap source of speed. Probably more of a utility guy with the way the Brewers roster is built at the present time. You never know. Showed a little pop last year at AAA. I want to see more power before I believe in it. If you're drafting Terang, it's because you're looking for some very late, very inexpensive stolen bases. A lot coming up next week on the show. You know, we got our second base preview set to run on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we'll have our first show, our new prospect-centric show with our buddy Chris Welsh. So we got that to look forward to. Going to roll position previews out between now and I believe it's the end of... February 17th is the last day. So we're going to have those kind of mixed in with some of our other draft strategy episodes. So if you've got episodes you haven't heard yet, ones that we've talked about, they probably haven't been released at this time, but they're coming. They've been recorded. We still got catchers and utility players to get to get the whole outfield coming up in the near future. Monday, as well. I'm recording an interview with a prime fantasy baseball sleeper. So that should be exciting. Looking forward to that the as hint, well. The hint is shirts off. <laughs> I kind of wish this player was Canadian because then you could use the tarps off the <laughs> hockey chirp. Fantastic. All right, we're going to go. $2 a month gets you in the door with a subscription. The athletic.com slash rates and barrels is a great time of year to do that. If you've got a question for a future episode, send those our way via email rates and barrels at the athletic.com. Eno's on Twitter at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Ryan, but it's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.